Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. How many times we sit down and we think, how, did you ever think you'd get to where you are right now? <laughs> Based on, I mean, and, and about 95% or more of the stuff you worry about never happened anyway. Other stuff happened, right? And so um, God works in mysterious ways. That's part of the message this morning. I have both a warning message that I think is coming through some of the articles that really upset me this week, and um, I want to try to balance um, stepping in and, and believing what the Word says, um, but let me set with a positive start first. My mom gave this to me. It's a, it's a true story of how God works in mysterious ways. Here's how the story goes. There was a brand new pastor and his wife. They were newly assigned to the first ministry to open a church in suburban Brooklyn. They arrived early in October, excited about the opportunities to open the new church. But when they saw the church, man, it was run down, needed work, needed paint. They set a goal to have the church done, all the hard work done, Christmas Eve service. So they all worked hard, repairing the pews, plastering the walls, painting, And on December 18th, they were ahead of schedule just about that time. However, on December 19th, a terrible rainstorm, tempest, driving rain, it came and it lasted for two days and flooded Brooklyn. On December 21st, the pastor went to the church and his heart sunk. When he saw that the roof had leaked and he caused a large area of the plaster in the wall, about six feet by eight feet tall, right behind the main sanctuary in the, in the altar area. He cleaned up the mess, all the stuff that was on the floor, and he debated whether he should postpone the Christmas Eve service. As he headed home, on the way, this is God how does this things, on the way, right? The enemy does some stuff and, you know, circumstances get us down. On the way, he noticed that a local business was having kind of a flea market sale for charity, He stopped and he looked at some of the items. There was this beautiful, handmade, ivory-colored, crocheted tablecloth. We have some real gifted crocheters in here, right? Where's Rosa and the team? Like, wow, right? Exquisite, fine colors. Cross was embroidered right in the center of this beautiful six-by-eight-foot. It was just the right size that could cover up the mess in the wall behind the altar. He bought it, and he headed back to the church so excited, and it just then it started to snow. There was an older woman running in the opposite dressing, trying to get on the bus, and she missed the bus. Pastor invited her in to the warm church because the next bus was 45 minutes later. So she sat in the front pew as the pastor hung up the tapestry to cover the hole in the wall. The pastor could hardly believe how beautiful it looked. That thing covered, there was the cross. Then he noticed that the woman started walking down the aisle and her face was white. Pastor, where did you get that tablecloth? Pastor explained he had just bought it. She said to him, would you look in the right corner and see if there's an initial E-B-G crocheted in the corner. The initials were there. The woman had made that tablecloth 
35 years earlier in Austria. The woman could hardly believe, as the pastor told her, he had just bought the tablecloth and ran into the woman who missed her bus. The woman explained that before the war, she and her husband were very well-to-do, and they lived in Austria. When the Nazis from Germany came, she was forced to leave. Her husband was going to follow her the next week, but she was captured by the Nazis and sent to prison. She's never seen her husband for 35 years. The pastor wanted to give her the tablecloth, said, here, you need to have this. She said, no, 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 this is beautiful for the church. The pastor insisted, well, at least then, let me drive you home. That's the least that I can do. She lived on the other side of Staten Island, and so he drove her from Brooklyn that day. She'd only been there that day for one house cleaning job. What a wonderful service. Christmas Eve was just wonderful. The church was almost full, the music and the spirit. At the end of the service, the pastor and his wife, they greeted everyone at the door, but there was an older man who the pastor didn't recognize except he'd been in the neighborhood. He continued to sit in the pew and stare, and the pastor wondered why he wasn't leaving. The man asked him, Pastor, where did you get that tablecloth? The one that's on the front wall? It's identical to the one that my wife made 35 years ago when we lived in Austria before the war. He told the pastor the Nazis came, forced his wife and him to flee, and he's never seen his wife for 35 years. Pastor asked him if he would allow him to take him on a little ride with him. They drove to Staten Island to the same house where the pastor had dropped off the woman three days earlier. He helped the elderly man up the steps to the flight of stairs, knock on the door, and he saw the greatest Christmas reunion that he could ever imagine. I'll tell you what, our God works in really mysterious ways. So when you think the church is getting messed up by the rainstorm and the, the snow comes and you miss your bus, just trust God. He works in mysterious ways. Amen? Well, if there's been several articles even that I've read this week that has now denied the virgin birth. And as some of you who've come out of congregations that are now denying the virgin birth and saying that this word is just a bunch of nice stories. It's not just a nice story. It's the story, okay? Here's an article. This is a quote. Denial of the virgin birth. So many people in the faith now in America that they would believe in such an unscientific, supernatural doctrine. Has that ever not been? That it's evidence of intellectual dimness. This is a New York Times article. It says, quote, Faith in the virgin birth reflects the way American Christianity is becoming less intellectual. What? And more mystical over time. This is humanism. This is the denial. If... If they can get the next generation to deny the faith, 
the foundations of Scripture. And I believe we have a word. Uh, we were celebrating our children's ministers and volunteers a couple, last week, week before. And in the midst of that, the Holy Spirit fell in the room, and my wife got a word, just foundation, foundation, foundation. And I believe what the Lord is now, you've been hearing the messages the last few weeks. Remember I dropped the, the plumb line and had the cornerstone? Jesus is the cornerstone. If you try to build the house and the foundation is not centered on the plumb line that Amos speaks about, uh, Haggai speaks about, if that's not lined up, on the, pl- the house is going to get crooked, right? It's going to get crooked, and the roof's going to get crooked. And then foundationally, he told us, if you try to build anything on any foundation other than Christ and Him alone, when the storms come, it's over. You will not be able to stand. Bill Johnson, the quote this morning that Ron Bertram sends out to all the men, I love those quotes. Every morning, I can set my watch to 7 a.m. Ding, that's Ron. One of the things that uh, Bill Johnson said this morning is, what a person values, they will protect. We value this word. This uh, humanism, these are the same loonies that say we've come from evolution, right? Denying the biblical worldview. I'd like you to turn with me. John, the, the revelator, turn with me to 1 John. Go to the back just before Revelation. And in 1 John, in chapter... Chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. Now, John is, he's late, most, he's, he's very, very elderly. All of the apostles at this point have been martyred. Every one of them, including uh, Paul, had been martyred at this point. Nero had removed Paul's head, crucified Peter upside down. It was prophesied by Jesus. So here we are. John is now in his elderly state. He's seen the church go through many phases And he's really concerned that the Antichrist spirit is moving throughout the church. And he gives a warning, says, you want to know what spirit is of God and which spirit is of the Antichrist? He makes it really clear. And that's exactly what these articles are trying to portray. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Here's what he says, 1 John 4, 1. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus came in a real body, that the person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus... That person is not from God, and such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you've heard is coming into the world, in fact, indeed, is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You've already won your victory over these people, because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in this world. We are really, um, I'm going to give you a number of prophetic Um, statements from the minor prophets about both the virgin birth, the declaration of who Jesus would come, how he would be born in Bethlehem, how he was going to come from the tribe of Judah, how he was a descendant from the root of Jesse, 
These are all prophetic words. Go back 700 years. Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth 700 B.C. Right? And so those are the prophetic words. And I want to build on this precept. Paul warned Timothy. We won't turn there. But he warned Timothy in chapter 4, in verse 1, he said this. The Holy Spirit declares, declares clearly that in the last days, many will depart from the faith giving in to seducing spirits and listening to the doctrines of demons. When you have mainline denominations now discrediting what is going on in the Scriptures, and I know some of you have sat in, that's why you're, you've changed. You've come, you've come out from under that. You cannot sit in false doctrine without becoming contaminated. And so, or raising your children in that kind of an atmosphere. It only takes that one generation to be lost. Here's another quote. Some of the revisionist evangelicals are now claiming that belief in the virgin birth is unnecessary, that this historical doctrine is not important. This continued tearing down of the validation of scriptures demonstrates that the, the Bible's not true. And if you, you can erode that this is not true, then let me ask the question. If the virgin birth isn't necessary and it wasn't real, then who is Jesus' father? Some other sinner. Hello? Now, it erodes the very principles of Christianity. We can't have that. We've got to be standing up against this. When, when 40 authors, 40 different authors over 1,500 years wrote 66 books that so dovetail together, only God could do that. That's why he told, Paul told us in 2 Timothy 3.16, this word is good for reproof, for doctrine, for the training and the equipping of us, right? That needs to be passed on to the next generation. As parents and grandparents, you need to hammer this with any that you're mentoring children. So turn to your handout. God's mysterious plan, it's not just a nice story. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2. If you'll turn there, Paul writes to a church at Ephesus that's in revival. And in Ephesians 2, uh, yeah, chapter 2, let's begin in verse 19. Ephesians 2, 19, and we'll go through part of chapter 3. I want you to look at, one, the mysterious plan. This is the secret that was now given after many generations to Paul. But he also speaks of the apostolic and prophetic foundation, the cornerstone built on Christ. Verse 19, Ephesians 2.19. So now gen you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. Can I get an amen on that? You are citizens, right? So you got a passport that's marked by the Holy Ghost, right? When you go to try to go into another country, guess what? you got to show your passport. In fact, they're coming out with this real ID right now, right? that you got to have it validated by either passports or other documents. Who really are you? And if you don't have it by next, I think it's October, you're not going to be able to fly. You're not going to be able to go anywhere. So, and some of you have had to go get lawyers, get your names right. They're being really diligent. Guess what? You've got a passport of your foreign citizenship that is not of this world. We're not of this world, right? You got a passport marked in the spirit. That's why when the demons, when we're doing some of these, we're in some of these crazy countries and doing, the, the demons go, you're one of them. Yeah, I am. I sure am, right? They know. 
That's why when Jesus walked in the temple, maybe the Pharisees and the Sadducees didn't know who he was, but the demon screams out, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. He says, shh, shh, quiet. Don't tell them that yet. You know? You're marked as citizens. I love that. Paul says there's this, you as Gentiles now are part of God's family. Verse 20, together we are his house. See the foundation? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together, becoming the holy temple for the Lord. Paul, uh, Peter does the same thing. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, you're a living stone. When you come alive in Jesus, your, your stone comes alive, and you're part of this wall that's being built that one day... When the holy Jerusalem, the, the mighty temple, you're going to be part of the living wall of Christ. Woo-hoo. We are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. We are, the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. Verse 21, carefully, carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made. You're being made. I love that. He who began the work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will perform it, right? See, there he comes. You're being made part of the dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Verse, chapter 3, verse 1. When I think of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me a special responsibility to extend his grace to you Gentiles. I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I've written, you'll understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God didn't reveal this in previous generations. He's now by his spirit revealed it to the holy apostles and prophets. This was God's plan, both Jew and Gentile, believing the good news, sharing equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body to enjoy the promise. He goes on and he says in verse 8, Though I'm deserving, I'm the least deserving of all God's people, he gave me graciously the privilege of telling you this, about the endless treasures available in Christ. Endless treasures. Just get a hold of that for a minute. There are endless treasures in Christ. Endless treasures that are available. We just got to be, they're available. They've been kept secret from the beginning. I love verse 10. He says, God's purpose is to use the church to display his wisdom in all of its rich variety. Faith in Christ and him is now the body. Confidently, God's presence is here. What a great message of the mysterious plan that God had at just the right moment. They call that a kairos moment where things shift. Well, why don't you look at with me for for a moment in Luke's Gospel 24. I was really encouraged when I read this this morning. In Luke chapter 24, just to set the context of, of this one, Jesus has just been resurrected. They've gone through the crucifixion and the resurrection. And this is a familiar scripture. Let's, let's look at the beginning of chapter 24. 
So Luke 24 and verse 1, it was early Sunday morning, the women go to the tomb with their spices, and they find the stone rolled away from the entrance, and the body is not there. As they stood puzzled, two men suddenly appear in clothed, dazzling robes. The women are terrified. They bow their faces to the ground. The men ask him, why are you here among the dead looking for the one who's alive? He's risen from the dead. He, go, they, he was sent back to Galilee that the Son of Man might be betrayed in the hand of sinners, crucified, and be raised again on the third day. Then they remembered what he had said. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the eleven, Mary, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who had told the apostles what happened. Verse 11, this is it. But the story sounded like nonsense. Peter jumps up and runs to the tomb. He looks, stooping in, and he saw the empty linen wrappings. He went home again, wondering what happened. So here's the disciples. How many times did Jesus tell them he was going to be crucified? They still hadn't got it. Now on the road to Damascus, here's another principle. On this walk, it's a seven-mile walk. I looked up the commentary. It's a seven-mile walk on the road to Damascus back. And Jesus hides himself from two disciples. So they're walking around talking about, wasn't it something? And Jesus kind of keeps himself so that they can't recognize who he is. And he comes up and he plays dumb. Jesus ever play dumb with you and ask you some questions? He knows the answer, okay? He sometimes keeps himself veiled behind. And he says, how you, you know, how you working this all out, right? So they're walking along. Let's pick up in verse 19. He says, Jesus asked them, so the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet. Listen, they don't get it right. He was a prophet, yes, that's true, did powerful miracles, a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and our religious leaders, they handed him over to be condemned and they crucified him. Look at verse 21, this tells it all. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Some of the women in our group went to the tomb this morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said the body was missing, they had seen angels, and they said Jesus is alive. Some of the men ran out to see it. Sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Look at the response here, verse 25. Then Jesus said to them, You foolish people. You find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering the, His glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Shortly thereafter, He has dinner with them. He says He pulls the scales off their eyes. And just as he serves them food, he disappears. I think that's pretty supernatural. Let me give you Tom's interpretation of you foolish people. That's stuff from those articles. You know, my dad, um, I still remember this. When I would do something foolish, he'd kind of tap me on the back of the head and said, don't be a hoople. I don't know what the definition of a hoople is, but I, I think I got it. I remember specifically one day he asked me and uh, we... We had a, a man from the city come out and stay with us, and uh, my dad told us to go start the charcoal fire. 
So we got a bucket of gas, and we brought it out, and my friend Ricky from, from the city, he'd never started a charcoal fire, so can I light it? So I'm pouring the gas on. He didn't wait till I finished pouring the gas on that he lit the thing, and I threw the can. Of course, it leaked out all over my dad's new grass, and the backyard is on fire. And my neighbor, our neighbor next door, Mr. Woods, he runs over with his garden hose. The last thing you firemen know is you don't hit a, a, a gasoline fire with a direct stream. Well, that spreads the thing all over the backyard. And so my dad comes out. They, he, he was the chief. He was the chief of the fire department in, in Oceanside. It's not good that his son burned the yard up in the backyard. And so anyway, I remember that day, don't be a hoople. So this is Tom's interpretation. Jesus says, you don't want to believe the scriptures? Don't be a hoople, right? Don't be foolish. Don't you guys read the scriptures? Read the scriptures and understand it has revealed everything that I've told you, right? Now we understand now the Holy Spirit's come and we can have greater understanding from the teacher more of these things that are not so mysterious. Let's go to the handout. I want to read the the first couple of paragraphs and then we'll dive a little deeper. God's mysterious plan. Indeed, do you know the Lord never does anything until he reveals his plans, his secrets, to his servants, the prophet? That's a direct quote. You look at King James, you look at the Greek, you look at the Hebrew, you look at New Living Translation. God does not do anything, anything, unless he first reveals it to his prophets. You want to know what's going on politically? Go pull out Kim Clement's prophecies from 2007, 2010, 2015. It'll tell you exactly what's going on. Calls out the president. Those who don't like him, I got news for you. He's going to be elected the second time. And people get mad at me. I don't like when you talk politics. Hey, forgive me, Lord. (sighs) Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people. Oh, let me back up. He doesn't reveal, he doesn't do anything that he doesn't reveal at first to the prophets. Amos 3, 7. Together we are God's family, his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. God himself revealed his mysterious plan and we share in the riches inherited by God's children. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the Scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would suffer all these things before He entered His glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses, all the prophets, explaining from all the Scriptures the things concerning Himself. Now, I only cherry-picked a few, but there's over a 100 prophetic words. You can go, go on Google and just look up prophecies concerning the virgin birth or the, that Christ is the Messiah. A hundred will come up over 1,500 years from different prophets that will validate this scripture. But let's just look at a couple. First of all, he's God. <laughs> he is, that, that's pretty big. Well, let's, let's turn. Let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2. And let's pick up in verse 6. Though he was God, he humbled himself and was born as a human. Let's get this quote. It's actually in the Old Testament as well, but let's pick it up here in Philippians 2, and let's begin in verse 6. Paul writes to the church at Philippi. He says, 
Though he was God, you there, Philippians 2, 6, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name that is above other names, that the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is God. Now, here's, I love, Bill Johnson does a really wonderful teaching on this. Here he is, he's fully God and he's fully man. In fact, if you read John 1, we're going to look at a couple of those things. It says, the, the Word always was. The Word was God, and then it says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's why that Antichrist spirit is attacking the fact of the virgin birth and the fact that Christ was fully God and fully man. And yet he gave up every one of his God powers. Isn't that something? Gave up his God power, and he said, now let me model for y'all what happens when a man or a woman, fully full of the Holy Ghost, now encounters life. You can do all things through Christ who will give you the strength. He doesn't start his ministry until after he's baptized in the river and the Holy Spirit comes and the Father affirms his identity and then it says in Luke 4, it says, and now Jesus, full of the Holy Ghost, was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. We had a whole discussion recently about the difference between temptation and testing. <laughs> it says God doesn't tempt any man. It's your desires, your evil desires to get hooked into the darkness and then you're led astray, right? It doesn't mean that God won't test you. So he is fully God, he's fully man. Let's look at number, number two. It says, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, a virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's look at this scripture. In uh, Ma Micah, Micah chapter 5, that's one of the minor prophets, just after Jonah and just before Nahum, Micah 5, the scriptures predict, again, hundreds of years before he's going to be born in Bethlehem. That's why some of the Pharisees who knew and the Sadducees who knew the prophecy, remember Jesus is the Nazarene, <laughs> he's the Nazarite, he's, he's come from Nazareth, and they said, can anything good come from Nazareth? But they knew that the, the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem, but they didn't know the rest of the story. During the taxation time, the virgin, pregnant with Jesus, travels there, right, you know the story. And so they got it wrong, they got it right, but they got it wrong, <laughs> Let's look at Micah, chapter 5, and begin in verse 2. The ruler from Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, a small village among the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, whose origins are from the distant past. This is so prophetic. 
bridging hundreds of years. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. That goes to the, remember the Revelation scripture? Talks about um, Satan, even goes back to Genesis. Satan, because of what you have done, you will bruise the woman, but she's going to crush your head. Right? And then Paul picks up on that in Romans 16. It says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. He speaks of Revelation. He says, the seed of the woman, all those who love Christ and profess and keep his commandments have had the war declared by him against you. See how it all fits? The precept upon precept upon precept. He goes on, he says, yet a ruler of Israel will come from you whose origins are from the past. The people of Israel who've been abandoned to their enemies until the woman of la has labor and gives birth. Then at last, his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their land. This is happening in our lifetime right now. And he will stand and he will lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord God. Then his people, they will live there undisturbed. It's coming. And he will highly be honored around the world and he will be their source of peace. Right now, it is, I mean, you look at what's going on in Israel and what is happening in the Middle East. The nations are in roar. Look at all the South American countries. I heard yesterday, the Argentine economy, the percentage of, of inflation, what's going on riding in the streets, even in Colombia, in Ecuador, in Honduras. What has happened? The world is getting unglued. And he says, remember the birth pains? He told us, Jesus told us, at least three scriptures. Matthew 24, Mark 13, Luke 21. He said, when you start to see these things happen, you better be ready. It's standing at the very door. The gate is about to open. Building upon precept and precept. And, you know, we said, my wife the other day said, wow, that's 2,000 years ago. I said, that's only two days in God's, God's calendar. <laughs> what are you saying, Peter? A day is 1,000 years. Two days ago, Jesus died, was resurrected. And Jesus in the Lord's calendar. All right, let's move on. It says, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. Number four, he will be born from the tribe of Judah, and he's a lion. Let's look at this one. I like this one. Took it, uh, take a look at Genesis 49. In Genesis 49, I'm, in, I'm just cherry-picking a few of these. There's so many of these. If you read the Word, you get so excited. It's like, well, you told that prophet, and then you told this prophet, and that book coincides with this book, and that precept beats with that precept. It's like, whoa, God, this is like, a, yeah, I love this Word. Right? It ought to get you really excited. And, you know, John, even John said, and if you go back to 1 John 1, he says, we have seen him with our own eyes. We have handled him. Peter said the same thing. Paul went on in 1 Corinthians 15, and he said, when you, if, if Jesus Christ was not resurrected, if he didn't come in the flesh and die, then guess what? This is all smoke and mirrors. Well, that's not his version. That's mine, but you get the point. All right, Genesis 49. Let's look at verse 8. The, what's happening here is Jacob has called his sons together, and he's giving them prophetic words. That's why I love. We need to be free when, you know, those who were here when the service started, Katie was opening the service. God just kind of... I'm not blowing smoke. I don't know where she is, but anyway. Um, okay, well, Katie just like, Katie, do you, you're opening the service. You know what? Yeah, I got it, Dad. I got it, Dad. I got it. She acted on She called Nicole out and gave Nicole a prophetic word of encouragement. These prophetic words and these gifts are for a purpose. 
And that's why the prophets wrote these things. So here's Jacob. He calls his sons together. He goes, let me tell you about your future. And he calls out his son, Judah, verse 8, Genesis 49, 8. Judah, your brothers will praise you. I'm sure the other brother's like, oh, great, you know, little sibling rival here. You will grasp your enemy by the neck, and all your relatives will bow down before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, it crouches and lies down. Like a lioness, who dares to rouse him? The scepter will not depart from Judah. This is the king's leadership ruler. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one in whom all the nations will honor. Come on, that's king of kings, lord of lords. Do you see the, this is now, go back to Jacob's sons. This is thousands of years ago. And God has said, that lineage, that DNA that's coming will come from the tribe of Judah. And he's going to be a lion. You know, he came back as the, he came as the babe, but next time he comes, there's going to be some gnashing and weeping of teeth. Woe unto those who do not know him. Well, he's also a descendant of King David. Look at number five there. Turn with me to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. And let's, let's begin in verse 5 here. Jeremiah, that prophet, he calls out. Verse 5, Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, The time is coming, says the Lord. The time is coming, says the Lord, when I will raise up a righteous descendant from King David's line. He will be a king who rules with wisdom. He will do what is just and right throughout the land, and this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness, and in that day Judah will be saved, and Israel will live in safety. In that day, says the Lord, when the people are taking an oath, they will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who rescued his people of Israel from the land of Egypt. Instead, they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the people of Israel back to their own land and from the land of the north and from the countries to which they were exiled, then they will live in their own land. This is a prophetic word written over 700 B.C. and now is being fulfilled in our very eyes. Come on. I mean, if you don't get excited, why did God have you born now? Why are you in this generation? It's not some circumstance. There's something about the time. Let's do one more. Look at Revel maybe two. Revelation 5.5. 5. Turn to the back of Revelation 5.5. 5. And this one, the lion, the son of David from the tribe of Judah has overcome. Here's the fulfillment. Now, in 90 A.D., John, the revelator, writes the book of Revelation. And he fulfills the promise being said or says it's going to be fulfilled from Jeremiah's prophecy and Micah and others. Zephaniah, he says this, Revelation 5, and let's begin in verse 5. One of the 24 elders said, stop weeping, talking to John. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. 
He's worthy to open the scroll and the seven seals. Then I saw the lamb that looked as if he'd been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne room and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes that represent the sevenfold spirit of God. This is sent out to every part of the earth. He's the son of David, the tribe of Judah, who's now overcome. But he's also, for us, he's the one God, the mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. We won't turn to Timothy, but he's your mediator. When you got some stuff going on, don't complain. Call on the mediator. <laughs> Lord, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're talking directly to the Father right now because you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and I need you to make intercession for me. Today, the Jennifer LeClaire thing that my wife and I look at every morning, is just about every morning with our, our quiet time, was the power of the intercessors. Pray, pray. Remember, he said, pray without ceasing. The power of intercession. I invite you, if you're free on Wednesday mornings from 9 to 10.30, come here. God, it is becoming, we get assignments there. God moves powerfully. Intercession. Do it privately, but there's something about corporate prayer. Come together on New Year's Eve. Join with us. Black, white, Spanish. Come together. Ask the Lord. You know, I have this crazy thought. Remember what he said? Jesus said, I'm going to come back when they least expect it. Be careful, beware. I will return when you least expect it. I've often thought, what if he came around midnight on the drunken night? Just a thought. Wouldn't you rather be here worshiping the King of Kings and forget all? You don't need happy hour. We got the one who makes us everything happy. Just, just a thought. Six, there's only one God, one mediator. A, every human birth except Christ, the Savior, was produced by another sinner. That's why this attack on the virgin birth is so vile. Every person born has been born a sinner. You don't need to look at all these, so many scriptures on that one. B, Jesus the God-man became flesh and blood, broke the power of the devil and the power of death. That's why in 1 John 3, 8, he says... Jesus came to destroy the works of devil. Then he went on, he said in John 14, now I've gone to the Father, you go do likewise. In fact, greater works shall you do. That's why it freaked me out when I read, when I first became a pastor, I read Mark 16, and he said, these signs will follow them that believe. I would believe we got a lot of believers in here, right? You believe Jesus? The real mark of Jesus, believers, is they do what he said, because the devils believe it also, right? So what are you doing? What's your lifestyle? What's, what is it? Can you, if we were to follow you around like the Holy Spirit does for about the next week and just kind of documented everything you do, say, think, and, and watch, and thought, how would that do? You used to wear those bracelets. What would Jesus do? Kind of freaked you out, right? It's like, oh, my gosh, because there's no one perfect. I get it. And I'm not trying to be condemning here, but we ought to be convicted, right? He said, look, there's a time coming when he says, I'm going to tell you who I is mine. They will know, the believers. That's why he said, the sign of the believer is you'll cast out demons in my name. You'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. And you'll be able to handle deadly things without harm. Go look at Mark chapter 16. 
And he says, and then these signs will validate that the message that you bring is true. That's why he said, gee, Paul got all upset. He says, look, this gospel is not just about a bunch of words. There needs to be power, right? And he says, in the last days, he says, one of the signs of the last days will be they'll have a form of godliness but no power. So when you turn that inward, when I read that in Mark 16, I said, I didn't quit my general electric job and, and come here and have, and I'm not doing that. And I said, God, you got to help us. And then you know the rest of the story. Randy Clark says, well, we're going to Brazil. And then we've been on this journey ever since. And so Pat Walls found a picture this week in her desk of my wife. I believe it was our first trip to Mozambique. And I've often thought about it. It brings me to tears many times when the, the, the river, the Zambezi River had overflowed and wiped out entire villages in Mozambique. And we had set up to bring a, a mission team to Mozambique. And we went to uh, Tet first and we ministered there. And then we went to Mutarara and we brought food in. And in one day, the refugees had completely wiped out all the food. And they brought the, the bloated bellies and the sick babies, the malaria-stricken, the worms that had gotten into all their skin. It was, I was so outside my comfort zone of where I was. And there's a picture, I still have it burning in my mind that this, I don't know why it was stuck in Pat's desk for all these years, but there's my wife holding this little baby that the mama had brought to her. And, my, and she said, that's so typical of Ginny, just holding those babies. There is this presence of Holy Spirit. That's why Lisa's message last week was powerful. Wherever your compassion intersects with your skills, that's where God wants to use you. And wherever the snake, I remember what Leif Hetland says, wherever the serpent has bit you, that's where you have the greatest authority. Right? Wherever you've gone through stuff, Paul said it in the same way in Corinthians. He says, wherever you've suffered, that is what you will use then to comfort those who now suffer. It's when something, when someone says, well, I can tell you about the loss of a child. Well, someone who's lost a child, I, you, you want to deal with someone who has a Down syndrome brother? Someone who has a disabled child? You know how to weep through that. Something, a woman who's had an abortion can minister to another woman who's been in that place. This is the place where God's saying, church, I need you to step up to where your pain and your skills now intersect, right? Because when we go there, God will release a presence there that will cause people to come in, right? And so, see, he was fully God. He was fully man. He was the perfect sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews tells us that. Well, let me, let me end with Isaiah 9. And if the ministry team, uh, the worship team would come on up. I want to spend a few minutes here with our ministry team. We'll finish just a little early. But let's turn to Isaiah chapter 9. This is the promise. The end of the story we read about on the virgin birth and the coming of the Messiah is really the start of the eternal story that will go on forever and ever and ever. I, I can't even, I don't know about you, I don't, what, eternity, what? How do you get your head around that? The end of this story is the beginning of the eternal story. Isaiah writes this. You know, in Isaiah 7, he wrote of the virgin birth. They were so 
off the ranch at that point, the, the Israelites, that um, he says, okay, I'll show you a sign. A virgin will conceive. We know 700 years later she did. But then he says in verse 6, it's, that's not the end of it. Not only is this child going to be born of a virgin, but he's going to come. And here's the end of this. Verse 6, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us. Look at the us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders. Oh, praise God. No impeachments. Hallelujah. He will be called, I'm sorry. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor, David, for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. The day's coming. I, you know, I, I know it many, many generations have said, well, it's right around the corner. It's right around. Man, it is certainly closer than it's ever been. Um, but it looks like it's right around the corner. It looks like it's just right around the corner. When you look at all the stuff that's happening right now, prophetically, we ought to get excited and be ready. So here's my call to us. One is, make a commitment this year to really get into this. Read it every day. Or, or maybe set up a plan to be part of a, of a discipleship group men's group, the women's group, men's group, uh, Monday night. But anyway, get, there's always going to be room to make room for this, right? And so, because the Word is so full of living power, and since it's such an, under such assault today, because of the media, this has never happened like this before, because the media goes everywhere, there's so much falsehood that is tearing down the prem, and it goes everywhere. It's affecting our generation, our younger ones. If you're not spending time with your children or grandchildren, or if you have time and you can come minister to our children and grandchildren in the house, sp spend some time. Spend some time with God on this. Get it down deep. So why don't we, I want to invite the ministry team, if you'll come this morning, all those who have been trained under our ministry team, you know who you are. I have a couple of uh, revelations that I'd like to share. One is, I believe that some of the biological family is going to be restored very soon. That those who have been separated, I may, I may be speaking to some by, by live stream as well, where there's been separation, there's been brokenness. I believe the Lord wants to bring restoration and reconciliation. And I believe the year coming when we're grounded on the foundation of the cornerstone that God can move in and do miraculous things. Things that you'll have to be willing to forgive and move forward. Don't hold on to the stuff. But if you'll do what he said, then he will do what he said. <laughs> the prodigals are going to come back. We were praying the other night. We had a meeting for the elders and we were praying that the prodigals would come back. Those that are living out there in the pig pens of life are going to come to their senses and say, I need to get back to mom and dad's house. That's the spiritual house, but it's also the natural house. 
So I'm calling in the prodigals right now. And if you're one of them that's listening or you've been alienated from the ones that you love, that you've been angry and bitter, maybe past history, there's a lot of stuff there. I'm not saying you walk back into abuse, but I'm saying in the name of Jesus, this is a time of reconciliation. God wants to heal the family. He wants to heal the family, spiritually and physically. But there's another call. Those who have been afraid. The word this morning that Karina brought was, don't be afraid. Love love overpowers. Don't be afraid. Love is going to overpower. Don't be afraid. If you've been afraid to serve somewhere, you've been afraid to step out somewhere, God says he hasn't given you that fear. He's given you power, and he's given you love, and he's given you this sound, thoughtful mind. God is saying, I'm inviting you to step into something you've not done before. I can guarantee you, if you will step in to do what God's called you to do, you're going to be in a place where you're going to realize the kingdom of God is now among us. And he's using me. It's powerful. So let's, let's stand. and Maybe just if you join me, just close your eyes for a minute. And Lord, I'm asking you to release the mysterious secrets to the ple- to the hearts of your own people. God, I ask you to show them mysteries. Share with them some secret things. Just like the lady with the tablecloth and her husband reunited, who would have thought how that would come together? We don't know how the tablecloth got there. Who brought? How in the world did it get? You had to carry that by angel power. God, you got plans and you got circumstances that will cause your people to have an aha in Jesus, that he is real. He's numbered the hairs on my head. He knows everything about me. He says he doesn't even see a sparrow fall to the ground, that he doesn't know that that's occurred. So why? Why would we be foolish and think he doesn't care about us? So if you're here this morning and you're really struggling with some form of rejection or disappointment in God, I really believe you need to come and get some prayer this morning. Don't let rejection and disappointment taint your heart in this season. So, Lord, we thank you now. God, I pray the revelation of the kingdom would come. We would be transformed, God. This would be an amazing year, a peaceful resting in the fact that we are now citizens of heaven. So I invite you to come. Come. Come and let Jesus says, if two will agree as touching, it shall be done for them. So now, Lord, as we sit on the eve of the end of this year, God, I pray that you would shine your face upon every family that's here. Lord, I'm calling in provision. Those that are struggling financially right now, I've had several, at least one call me. Lord, I'm praying breakthrough, breakthrough. Lord, as your people, they're tithers, they're givers. You said in Malachi chapter 3, you would open up the windows of heaven that would not be able to contain it, that you would rebuke the devourer for our sake. That's what you said. So, Lord, we're, we're, we're just declaring not a prosperity gospel, just the truth. You're the God who provides all of our needs. Matthew 6, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything you need will be added to you. God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Now, I bless what you're doing. I pray blessing over you. 
Bless you all. Thank you for being here this morning. Amen. In Jesus' name.